I still remember the moment the wedding song began. That moment that my daughter and I stepped into the view of our guests. I remember as our, our guests stood to their feet and they faced the center aisle. And all the eyes were on my daughter, the bride. It seemed like magic and the emotion was amazing. In fact, my daughter began having tears stream down her face and I remember leaning over to my daughter as we walked down the aisle whispering to her, this is your moment, laugh. And as we walked down the aisle, the reactions of our guests were varied. Some smiled, others beamed, a few whispered, and some had tears like my daughter. So many of our hopes and our dreams are centered around the bride. Maybe that's why God chose to call the church his bride. I still believe that Christ intends the church to turn people's heads. I still believe that Christ intends the church to turn the world upside down. And I still believe the church is a place where people's hopes and dreams are realized. I want to welcome all of you to this part of our worship, especially our guests. We love having you here. And uh, greet you in the name of Christ as well. Uh, as many of you know that I have been just doing a series of messages, just dealing with some of the problems that we face as Christians. Uh, the need for wisdom, feelings of inferiority, uh, depression, but I'm a big fan of keeping things balanced. And uh, the older I get, the more I realize the necessity of it. So this morning, I'm going to spend some time exhorting you. You see, it's, I want all of you to realize how blessed you are and what an amazing privilege you have of being part of a body, the church, the bride of Christ. It seems like we live in the midst of an epidemic of bad news. And uh, if you look around, we live in a society where the, where the values are eroding so fast. And with that comes there's so much selfishness in the church and outside the church. It's... And, the, and, the, and the, the effect of it is people are turning to just self-gratification instead of long-term eternal values. So this morning as we look at the scriptures, I want you to see what your role is personally in the church. And allow God to make you passionate again about the church. Now, as we look at the scriptures there's, there's the necessity of coming to some kind of a conclusion. And the way we do that is by, it's important that we just ask some questions. But not just any question. We need to ask the right questions. Socrates was known to be wise, not because he knew all the answers, but he knew how to ask the right questions. I recently came across uh, some, some of the 
questions that are in a book written by Dr. Gregory Stock in a book he calls the book of questions. In that book, there are several hundred thought-provoking questions. For instance, if you were to die this evening with no opportunities to communicate with anyone, what would you regret not having told anyone? And why haven't you told them? If you were to discover that your one-year-old child is, because of a mix-up at the hospital, not yours, would you want to exchange the child and try to correct the mistake? If you could use a voodoo doll to hurt anyone you choose, would you? Don't answer that. <laughs> Your house containing everything you own catches fire. And after saving your loved ones and your pets, and you have time to make one last final dash and to save one item, what would you choose? You're at a friend's house for Thanksgiving dinner and you find a dead cockroach in the salad. What would you do? <laughs> While parking late at night, you scrape the side of a Porsche. And you're certain that no one else is aware of what happened. The damage is minor and would be covered by insurance. Would you leave a note? That actually happened some time ago, but the difference was there were a lot of people watching. And so the man got out of his car, wrote on a, piece of, wrote on a note, there are a number of people around me thinking that I'm leaving a note which contains my name and address, but I'm not. And he put it underneath the windshield wiper, waved at the people, and left. What a hot dog. I expect better out of the rest of you. But you see, the way we come to terms with, with, with some of these issues is by asking questions. And uh, it forces us to make, come to some kind of a resolution. And it's one of the reasons why some people would prefer that people just wouldn't ask any questions. I took the time and, 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 and uh, looked up the word why in my Bible program. And it's one of those, those why questions are some of the things that are, seem to be asked the least. But I put it into my Bible program and 282 times the word why comes up. For instance, God asked Cain, why are you angry? The angels asked Abram, why did Sarah laugh? Nathan asked David, why did you despise the commandment of the Lord? Job asked God, why, why did I not die at birth? Even Jesus asked why questions. He asked, why do you worry? 
Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and not the log in your own? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? And of course, that unforgettable question on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that to arrive at some sort of a foundational purpose or reason for the church, it's important we ask some why questions. Why do we all come to this building on Sunday morning? Why do we sing hymns? Why do we have someone preach? Why do we take up offerings and, and support the church financially? Why are we doing it? And why would we have Levon and Beth go to such a far out place like Myanmar? Why? You know, this morning, I am sure if I were to open it up and, and to all of you and to ask for some reasons why we are doing some of these things, that some of you would give some really good reasons, such as just to present the gospel, which is biblical, to, to encourage and, and, and edify one another as a body, or to teach the scriptures, or to help those who are hurting. All of those are good reasons, but they are not the foundational reason why we do all of these things. The foundational reason is found in 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. That is the foundational reasons. The activities can be limitless. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. And notice that no one is excluded in this. It includes the men, the ladies, the married, the singles, the youth, even the children. Everyone is supposed to be doing everything for the glory of God. The Apostle Paul asked one of those deep probing questions in 1 Corinthians 6. He says, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? He's asking a question. He's saying, God has given you the Holy Ghost, and because he's given you the Holy Ghost, you no longer belong to yourself. And then he tells us why he asks this question. Notice why. For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You have been taken and bought out of the slave market of sin and set free to do that which glorifies God. Now, if you take the time and study the word glory, you're going to discover there are three, three meanings to that. The first deals with the Shekinah glory of God. And we find that in Exodus 40, 34. It says, Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. 
And Moses was not able to enter the tent of the congregation because the cloud abode thereon and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The Shekinah glory represents the physical presence of God at any inappropriate contact with the Shekinah glory meant instantaneous death. There was also that cloud by day, that pillar of fire by night. That was the Shekinah glory. There's a second glory that the Apostle Paul talks about. It's found in 1 Corinthians 15. He's talking about the planets and the stars. He says in 1 Corinthians 15:40, there is also the celestial bodies, and the body is terrestrial, but the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for one star differeth from another star in glory. So the stars and the planets, they radiate different types of glory. But you see, the glory that we bring to Jesus Christ is very different. The glory that we bring to Jesus Christ, we elevate, we magnify him, and we radiate towards him, and at the same time, we humble ourselves. John the Baptist illustrates this, what I'm talking about, this aspect in glory when he says of Jesus, he must increase and I must decrease. In glorifying God, there are two actions going on simultaneously. Imagine for a moment how what it was like for John the Baptist to have taken and built up a ministry. He's got disciples. He's baptizing. People are following him. And then Jesus Christ comes onto the scene. And his disciples turn and follow Jesus. And the amazing thing about it is John rejoiced about it. You see, we cannot at the same time elevate Christ and elevate ourselves. It does not work. There has to be humility upon your part where where you realize your position and you magnify God. Um, You can't be preoccupied about yourselves and glorify God at the same time. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Isaiah 55 talks about this. Isaiah 55, and notice with me, Isaiah is not talking about literal water or literal money. He's talking about those who have a desire and a thirst for God. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. He that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. For whatever ye do, wherefore do ye spend money for that which is not bread, and labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat you that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. 
He's saying, how long are you going to seek after those things that don't satisfy? What's it going to take for you to realize that it is God that satisfies you? Then he says in verse 3, incline your ear and come unto me and hear your soul shall live and, I, and will make an everlasting covenant with you and even the mercies of even the sure mercies of David. Now notice the humility that comes into play as well. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is, while he is near. Then look at verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way, the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him and, upon, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Again, there are two actions that are simultaneously happening. For you to glorify God, you have to be honest about yourself, about who you are, and there has to be... Uh, I think uh, it's James that says we are to humble ourselves. And the reason God asks us to humble ourselves is because if we don't, and he has to, then it becomes a pretty painful thing. Now, it's one thing. Uh, it's one thing to glorify God when things are great. And we're going to see David he, he glorifies God when things are going really good. See that in Psalm 145. Notice what he says. I will extol thee, O my God, and O my God, O King. I will bless thy name forever and ever. Every day will I bless thee. I will praise thy name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise thy works to another, and they shall declare thy mighty acts. And I will speak of the glorious honor of thy majesty and of thy wondrous works. And men shall speak of the might and of thy terrible acts, and I will declare thy greatness. Here's what I want you to understand. A church can do a lot of amazing things in our own strength and our own wisdom. And will it attract people? Yes, it will. But when we do things God's way, will it work? Notice verse 5, it says, And I will speak of the glorious honor of thy majesty, of thy wondrous works. And notice verse 6, And men shall speak. It's verse 7. And men shall speak of the might of thy terrible acts and will declare thy greatness. They shall abundantly utter the memory of thy great goodness and shall sing of thy righteousness. People will notice when each of you do that which glorifies God personally and it will attract people to a church. When, you, when the church is living righteously and doing things God's way. There are so many ministries out there that are doing things man's way. Uh, they are marketing the church, and it works. Look at these mega ministries that are going. They simply find out what appeals to people, 
and they, they put it out there, and they have massive churches because of it. But it pays for a church to do things God's way. For you to be responsible. Now what about, you know, it's one thing when life is going great, doing it and uh, glorifying God and praising God. It's another thing when life is tough. When, when things are hard, um, I want you to notice David. It's a prayer of David. He says, bow down thine ear, O Lord. Hear me, for I am poor and needy. This is the time, there's, this, is when, this is when David was going through a real slump and things were tough. Preserve my soul, for I am holy. O thou my God, save thy servant that trusteth in thee. Be merciful unto me, O Lord, I cry unto thee daily. Rejoice the soul of thy servant, for unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. Verse 5, for thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. Give, give ear, O Lord, unto my prayer and attend unto the voice of my supplications. And in the day of my trouble, I will call upon thee and thou wilt answer me. Among the gods there is none like thee, O Lord, neither, will there, neither are there any works like unto thy works. All nations whom thou hast made shall come and worship before thee, O Lord, and shall glorify thy name. For thou art great and doest wondrous things. And notice what David writes in the midst when life is tough. Thou art God alone. Isn't that amazing? So when do we live for the glory of God? Well, let me just begin at home for all of you. I want to just begin with the children this morning. For all you children, when mom and dad give you an assignment, do it without complaining. Because God is calling you to live for his glory. Or when there's a difference between one of your brothers or your sisters and they do something that is unkind, don't do something back. Why? Because you're living for the glory of God. God calls you to that. Uh, this also includes your schoolwork. Do your best at your schoolwork. Why? Because you're living for the glory of God. For the youth, the same applies to you. Consider your attitudes. Teenagers have a tendency to have attitudes. So I would would encourage you to consider your attitude and remember that what you do is for the glory of God. The time you spend in service is for the glory of God. Your vocation is for the glory of God. For the ladies, be hospitable, be generous, dress modestly. Why? Again, it, it's for the glory of God. Uh, live in peace with those around you, your, your husbands. 
for the men, be disciplined. Exercise self-control. Lead with kindness. Be godly. It's clues your work, your business, uh, your home, here in the church. What you do matters. Why? Because it's for the glory of God. Let me take it a step further this morning and just conclude some of those ifs. That uh, if, it, if it goes well and if it doesn't, it's still for the glory of God. If you win that bid at, at, at your business or your job, or if you don't. If you get cut off by another car, you need to remember you're living for the glory of God. If you get treated well, or if somebody takes advantage of you, it is still for the glory of God. You need to check out your response. In sickness or in health. So the big question is, how do we do this? One thing, it's one thing to talk about it. It's another thing to do it. So how do we do this? Let me give you four suggestions this morning. How you can make this practical in life. First of all, cultivate the habit of taking Christ wherever you go. You know why that's a really good habit? Because in reality, you do. If you're born again, you have God's Spirit, the third member of the Godhead within you, you take God everywhere you go. But the, the reality of this is this, this only sinks in through a conscious and a consistent effort. Uh, one of the things I was working with the youth guys, I just asked them every Sunday to share of one moment during the week, they walked in the Spirit. And for them to do that, they all had to be conscious how they were walking. We just had them each share of one moment they had a choice to do what God would have them to do or a choice of what would come natural and pleasing to the flesh. But you see, that doesn't come natural. What comes natural is just all of us being selfish. That's what comes natural. Make yourself some cards with the question, who's getting the glory, Christ or me? Put it on your, your bathroom mirror or maybe on your, your sun visor, maybe on your desk. And, and be conscious of the choices you're making every day. Who gets the glory? There's a reason why. You sow a thought, you reap an action. You sow an action, you reap a habit. You sow a habit, you reap a destiny. 
Secondly, refuse to expect or accept any glory that belongs to God. And this is such a tough one. You know why? Because we're all programmed to pretend. It really comes down to your heart and motives. Uh, the best advice I could give you is be authentic and be genuine. Be real. And, and, and ask, go to your heart motive, why did you do this? Why did you do that? Thirdly, make your relationship with Christ your top priority. Now I know all of you, that most of you spend more time with perhaps your family, uh, with a friend, with your husband or your wife, or with your children. And I know God asks you to love your husband, your wife, or your children, or your friends. But the best way we can love those around us is by loving Christ the most. Make Jesus Christ your priority. The fourth, simply be honest that you struggle with pride. How, how difficult that is. Uh, I uh, appreciated the words of a writer. He wrote, man cannot serve both self and God. The corruption of the human nature produces a self-will which turns man against God glorifies human ability rather than, grace, than the grace of God. Pride and selfishness are the characteristics of a human nature which demands its own way in all things. The first step toward serving God as, we, as he would have us serve him therefore requires that we constantly and constantly put down the demands of self and surrender our desire to the Lord. I think if we were all honest, we would struggle, all have a struggle with pride. There are all moments we worry more about what people think than what God thinks. That's because of pride. Someone has said pride is the only disease which makes everyone else sick around you, makes everyone sick but the person who has it. J. Oswald Sanders wrote this, Nothing is more distasteful than self-conceit. The first and fundamental sin, in essence, aims at enthroning self at the expense of God. Pride is a sin whose presence, its victim, is least conscious. If we are honest, when we measure ourselves by the life of our Lord, who humbled himself even to a death on the cross... We cannot but be overwhelmed with the tawdriness and the shabbiness, even the vilest of our hearts. You know, imagine this morning, what a powerful testimony we could have as a congregation if every one of us personally did that which would, would glorify God. Imagine what amazing that would be. I want to leave you this morning with 
seven words that Jesus used to sum up his life. They're found in John 17, 14. Notice what Jesus says. He's praying in the garden. He's speaking to the Father. And he says, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest to me to do. Jesus lived for the glory of the Father. Isn't that amazing? Let's pray. Father, we just pause before you. And this morning we pray that you would awaken us a deeper passion for the church. We pray, Father, that you put within us a life of a, a consistency and a consciousness of, of the eternal, the eternity, what the eternal things our actions will reap. I pray, Father, that you would help us to live lives that glorify you and that each of us would take to heart this personally. I would pray that your spirit will help it to become practical in our lives that we be conscious how we conduct ourselves in and, in and out of the church. Father, we, we know that whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. Father, this morning as we, as we consider these scriptures, we want to give you the glory for that which comes forth from it. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.